0: You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for October fifteenth, two 2022, Saturday Reading of the Arapahoe County News. My name is Pablo. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Aurora City Council Used State Sexual Harassment Law to Keep City Lawmaker Allegations Undisclosed by Max Levy. Endorsement, Voters Should Send Griswold Back to Lead the War Against Election Disinformation by Sentinel Colorado Editorial Board. January 6th Panel Subpoenas Trump Shows Startling New Details by Lisa Mascaro. Colorado Vote State Elections Chief Challenger Argue About What's Partisan by Colleen Slevin and Following Up with Miscellaneous Articles Aurora City Council Used State Sexual Harassment Law to Keep City Lawmaker Allegations Undisclosed by Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writer, October 14, 2022 Aurora allegations that Aurora council member Steve Sunberg made sexually suggestive comments around city staff were investigated and confirmed but kept from the public under a Colorado law that gives cities broad discretion to withhold records related to sexual harassment a group of three other council members decided not to discipline sunberg with Sunberg saying the allegations were quote minor unquote and because Sunberg had reportedly apologized. No recordings were made or minutes taken of the group's meetings. A confidential source reported the allegations against Sundberg to the Sentinel, which requested relevant records from the city of Aurora, including an email sent to council members that contained a third-party report on the matter. The city refused to turn over those records and initially refused to provide a specific legal reason for doing so. Senior Assistant City Attorney Dave Lathers eventually acknowledged that records were withheld under a portion of Colorado's Open Records Act allowing local governments to block the release of records having to do with sexual harassment allegations. The Sentinel obtained a copy of the April 20th report from a confidential source and confirmed the document's authenticity with multiple council members. Open government advocates say that, while the state's public records laws were written to protect the privacy of victims by allowing cities to withhold, quote, any records of sexual harassment complaints and investigations, unquote, the law also allows cities to hide the results of those investigations from the public, which may have the secondary effect of shielding perpetrators from scrutiny. Quote, There's a strong public interest in knowing the outcome of these investigations. Unquote. Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition President Steve Zansberg said of the law. Quote, Allowing those who have been accused of sexual harassment to go unidentified for years on end is not consistent with the general view that this workplace conduct is unacceptable and should be eradicated, Unquote. In the report on the allegations against Sundberg, investigators describe comments made by the first-term city lawmaker in the presence of city employees, two of whom complained to city officials. Sunberg later alluded to the situation at the conclusion of a city council meeting and described some details of the incidents to the Sentinel. On May 9th, Sundberg told the council that, in December 2021, he was in, quote, a nervous and challenging situation in which I blurted out a joke or a story which was about a prank, unquote. Quote, Upon completing that, I realized it was an inappropriate thing to say, unquote, he said, quote, I do genuinely care about other people and how I treat them, so I am meeting with a couple of staff tomorrow to apologize, have a crucial conversation about that, and move on with important city business, unquote. Sundberg later said that, during a December meeting which included city staff members, attendees had commented on a mask that he was wearing. He said he replied with a, quote, joke or story, unquote, about wearing a mask over his genitals. Quote, I related a prank that was played on a really good friend of mine where I wore a large mask as a lion cloth and gave it to my friend, unquote, he said. Quote, as the last word came out of my mouth, I knew it wasn't fitting. I wasn't trying to be lewd or offensive, unquote. Sundberg's account was consistent with the information included in the report, which concluded that the council member, quote, made an inappropriate comment about the size of his mask in relation to his genitals, unquote. The source who contacted the Sentinel also referenced comments made by Sundberg about a strip club. Sunberg declined to provide details about the incident, except to say that a second complaint made that allegation, and that he regretted what he had said. Quote, "I was answering sarcasm with sarcasm," Unquote. he said. Quote, "I made a regrettable joke in a moment of nervousness. I apologized to those two people." Unquote. According to the report, Sundberg was responding to a city employee who told him that council members must submit itemized receipts along with purchases and that alcohol could not be expensed. Quote, council member Sundberg responded by asking if that meant he could not submit receipts from a strip club, Unquote. The report says, quote, Witness 1 said that she believed the comment was misconstrued but she recognized that some people are more sensitive than others. Witness 2 said she believed Councilmember Member Sundberg made the comment in jest and did not notice that the comment bothered Complainant 1, Sunberg told investigators that he thought the employee was being sarcastic with her comment about alcohol because that information was made, quote, abundantly clear, unquote, during his orientation. A third allegation was included in the report, that Sunberg quote, leered, unquote, at the complainant after making the strip club comment and looked at her, quote, from head to toe and back up again, unquote, on at least one other occasion, but was not substantiated because others who were present did not recall that happening. Sundberg later said a group of council members reviewed the findings of the report and found the allegations to be, quote, minor, unquote, and, quote, politically motivated, unquote. Harassment allegations against council members are handled by an, quote, evaluation committee, unquote, which council rules say should be composed of the mayor, currently Mike Kaufman, the mayor pro tem, currently Francois Bergin, and the chairperson of the Management and Finance Policy Committee, currently Curtis Gardner. Bergen said that because she witnessed the, quote, strep club, unquote, comment, she recused herself from the committee and was replaced by council member Angela Lawson. Bergen characterized the remark as a joke that had gone over poorly. Quote, it was nothing. It was like a bad joke, unquote, she said. Quote, it was silly, honestly, and as a woman, if it had been something serious, I would have required something be done, unquote. Notices of potential quorum for two meetings of a council evaluation committee were published in February and March. The subject of one of the meetings was the, quote, selection of an investigator, unquote. but the city later said in response to a records request that no minutes or recordings were kept of either meeting. Colorado law requires city councils to keep meeting minutes when, quote, the adoption of any proposed policy, position, resolution, rule, regulation, or formal action occurs or could occur, unquote. Jeff Roberts, executive director of the Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition, said that if the group of three council members Made the decision not to discipline Sunberg, the city put itself in a questionable position by not keeping records of their meetings. Quote, "It seems to me there should be a record of this," Unquote, he said. Gardner said the committee decided not to discipline Sunberg in part because not all of the allegations against Sunberg were substantiated and because Sunberg had reportedly apologized to his accuser. Quote, my understanding was that council member had apologized, and as far as we were concerned, that was as far as we thought it needed to go, unquote, Gardner said. It is unclear whether the committee communicated with or interviewed the employees who complained about Sunberg's behavior. Council member Ruben Medina, who along with Allison Coombs confirmed the authenticity of the report received by the Sentinel said he was told by evaluation committee members that no action would be taken against Sunberg after he apologized and completed a workplace behavior training Quote, "when something like that happens it taints us all" Unquote, Medina said Medina also shared an email that he sent to council members in May in which he blasts Sunberg for his conduct toward city employees Quote, it shows disregard for others and no respect for moral fortitude, especially someone in a power position telling subordinates, unquote. Medina's email reads in part, quote, You are a grown man, not a child who did not know. To me, this shows a pattern because you not only did this once but twice, unquote. Since the 1990s, cities like Aurora have been broadly empowered to withhold records related to sexual harassment allegations. Zansberg said the law was meant to protect government workers from the stigma and retaliation that sometimes results from reporting sexual harassment as well as to protect officials from false accusations. Quote, but it is ironic that when people have been identified as having been the subject of a complaint that the public is not entitled to know the outcome, unquote, he said. Quote, if it's possible to disclose the records and at a minimum the findings of the investigation without identifying the accusers, that would be a far better regime. In one high-profile case decided last year, reporters from the Denver Post and Denver North Star were blocked from obtaining an uneradicated copy of a report on sexual harassment allegations facing Denver Public Schools Board of Education member Tay Anderson. Judge J. Eric Elif acknowledged in his ruling that, quote, Due to Mr. Anderson's position as an elected official and particularly as one in the context of school administration, the contents of this report are of the utmost concern to the public. Unquote. He also wrote that the broad exemption under CORA was quote, somewhat unusual, unquote, as other states allow courts to weigh the value of such documents to the public when deciding whether to compile their release. But in Colorado, what voters are allowed to know about their representative's alleged sexual misbehavior is left largely up to local governments. Quote, when you're talking about unelected official who's accountable to the voters, how do the voters get to see information that's important for them to evaluate? If C O R A says you can't release anything, Unquote, asked Roberts. Quote, There's not really a mechanism for that in the law right now. Unquote. While Roberts said he and others have approached state legislators about rewriting the exemption to CORA, there has yet to be visible progress toward changing the law. Sundberg said he has since reconciled with his accusers and that he is, quote, wiser now, unquote. Quote, I think it was a simple thing that was blown out of proportion and I want to move forward, unquote, he said. Endorsement. Voters should send Griswold back to lead the war against election disinformation by Sentinel, Colorado Editorial Board, October 14, 2022. Take exception all you want to Democratic Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold's secure election tactics. The first term, top state election officials full steam ahead media pushback against election deniers and people admittedly trying to undermine state elections, Griswold is at the front of the parade to undo damage to voter confidence. Voters should keep her in office for the next term to safeguard a state few would ever think needs election integrity protection. While the office is actually a demanding mix of many disparate jobs, gambling oversight, business documentation, as well as numerous election-related mandates, Job one for the office, sadly, is fighting rampant disinformation, protecting the lives of election workers, and acting as police against nefarious election insiders. The Sentinel stands with Griswold and others like her in calling out election deniers and those who passively or passionately distribute disinformation about election integrity in this state. Those who partake even in passing along coyness such as, quote, well, everyone has questions. Unquote, have not a single reason to doubt Colorado's election security. There is not one piece of evidence anywhere to suggest that elections here have been compromised by widespread or insidious fraud. Nothing. What does create a risk to Colorado election integrity is baselessly doubting the process based on a flood of disinformation, mostly coming from corrupt Republicans such as Donald Trump and indicted Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters, who have actively attempted to interfere in the election process, according to court records and witness testimony. In Trump's case, the former president tried to undermine and overthrow the presidential election in an effort to overrule voters and appoint himself president. They selfishly do the bidding of Russia and China, which experts say purposely work to distrust the United Parts of the States here weakening America's global stature. While her critics have labeled Griswold's work partisan, we have not seen any evidence of anything more partisan about Griswold's tenure and decisions than those of the Republican secretaries of state widely accused of partisanship before her. This week, it was Griswold's office that came forward with the mistake about mailing voter registration advisement notices to 30,000 ineligible potential voters. The glitch was regrettable, verifiable, and hardly partisan or nefarious. Likewise, her opponent, former Jefferson County Clerk and Recorder Pam Anderson, has been accused of secretly siding with Republican extremists and deniers because they're Republicans too. There's no proof of any such thing. Anderson has been consistent and relentless in calling out election deniers among her own party. She's in a perfect position to bring fellow Republicans back from the edge when they buy into the election fraud hoax. As clerk of one of the state's largest counties, she knows firsthand how much security, transparency, and accountability is built into the election system at the ground level. As a Republican, she holds a unique position of credibility in being able to help fellow Republicans find their way back from the depths of denialism. If elected, Anderson would clearly make a trusted and effective Secretary of State. But she cannot match Griswold's passion for outwardly undermining attempts by state and national officials to cast doubt on election integrity, or worse yet, actively undermine it in the way Trump and officials in other states have tried and still more want to. The Sentinel last month criticized Griswold for appearing in a TV ad with her former Republican opponent in an effort to shore up election mistrust, mostly among Colorado Republicans. The ad was paid for by a federal program. It's debatable how impactful the brief spot was and it undermined Griswold's goal of putting Colorado elections above the political fray by inviting controversy and criticism about the appearance of impropriety, opportunistically promoting herself along with her cause using tax dollars, and becoming an inadvertent distraction. We stand by that and advise Griswold to protect her ability to lead the fight against election disruption by previewing her actions through the eyes of her opponents. Despite that cursory misstep, Griswold has fiercely and laudably worked to undo efforts to cast out or actively undermine election integrity in Colorado and across the nation. And that's what the job calls for right now. Voters should return Griswold to office. January 6th panel subpoenas Trump shows startling new details by Lisa Mascaro. Farnosh Amiri, Eric Tucker, Associated Press, October 14th, 2022. Washington. The House January 6th Committee voted unanimously to subpoena former President Donald Trump demanding his personal testimony as it unveiled a startling new video and described his multi-part plan to overturn his 2020 election loss, which led to his supporters' fierce assault on the U.S. Capitol. With alarming messages from the U.S. Secret Service warning of violence and a vivid new video of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other congressional leaders pleading for help, the panel on Thursday showed the raw desperation at the Capitol. Using language frequently seen in criminal indictments, the panel said Trump had acted in a, quote, premeditated, unquote, way before January 6th, 2021, despite countless aides and officials telling him he had lost. Trump is almost certain to fight the subpoena and decline to testify his social media outlet he blasted members for not asking him earlier though he didn't say he would have complied and called the panel quote a total bust unquote. quote we must seek the testimony under oath of january sixth, central player unquote said republican representative liz cheney of wyoming the committee's vice chair ahead of the vote in the committee's 10th public session just weeks before the congressional midterm elections, the panel summed up Trump's quote, staggering betrayal, unquote, of his oath of office, as Chairman Benny Thompson put it, describing the then-president's unprecedented attempt to stop Congress from certifying Democrat Joe Biden's victory. While the effort to subpoena Trump may languish, more a nod to history than an effective summons, the committee has made clear it is considering whether to send its findings in a criminal referral to the Justice Department. In one of its most riveting exhibits, the panel showed previously unseen footage of congressional leaders phoning for help during the assault as Trump refused to call off the mob. Pelosi can be seen on a call with the governor of neighboring Virginia, explaining as she shelters with Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer and others that the governor of Maryland has also been contacted. Later, the video shows Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell and other GOP leaders as the group asks the Defense Department for help. Quote, They're breaking the law in many different ways, Unquote. Pelosi says at one point. Quote, And quite frankly, much of it at the instigation of the President of the United States. The footage also portrays Vice President Mike Pence, not Trump, stepping in to help calm the violence, telling Pelosi and others he has spoken with Capitol Police as Congress plans to resume its session that night to certify Biden's election. The video was from Pelosi's daughter, Alexandra, a documentary filmmaker. In never-before-seen Secret Service messages, the panel produced evidence that extremist groups provided the muscle in the fight for Trump's presidency, planning weeks before the attack to send a violent force to Washington. The Secret Service warned in a December 26, 2020, email of a tip that members of the right-wing Proud Boys planned to outnumber the police in a march in Washington on January sixth. Quote, it felt like the calm before the storm, unquote. one Secret Service agent wrote in a group chat. To describe the president's mindset, the committee presented new and previously seen material, including interviews with Trump's top aides and cabinet officials, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Attorney General William Barr, and Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia, in which some described the president acknowledging he had lost. Ex-White House official Alyssa Farah Griffin said Trump once looked up at a television and said, quote, Can you believe I lost to this, open parenthesis, expletive, closed parenthesis, guy. Unquote. Cabinet members also said in interviews shown at the hearing that they believed that once legal avenues had been exhausted, that should have been the end of Trump's efforts to remain in power. Quote, In my view... That was the end of the matter, unquote, Barr said of the December 14th vote of the Electoral College. But rather than the end of Trump's efforts, it was only the beginning, as the president summoned the crowd to Washington on January 6th. The panel showed clips of Trump at his rally near the White House that day saying the opposite of what he had been told. He then tells supporters he will march with them to the Capitol. That never happened. Quote, there is no defense that Donald Trump was duped or irrational, unquote, said Cheney. Quote, no president can defy the rule of law and act this way in our constitutional republic. Period, Thursday's hearing opened at a mostly empty Capitol complex with most lawmakers at home campaigning. Several people who were among the thousands around the Capitol on January 6th are now running for congressional office, some with Trump's backing. Police officers who fought the mob filled the hearing room's front row. The House panel said the insurrection at the Capitol was not an isolated incident, but a warning of the fragility of the nation's democracy in the post-Trump era. Quote, none of this is normal, unquote, Cheney said. Along with interviews, the committee is drawing on the trove of 1.5 million pages of documents it received from the Secret Service, including an email from December 11th, 2020, the day the Supreme Court rejected one of the main lawsuits Trump's team had brought against the election results. Quote, just FYI, POTUS is pissed, unquote. the Secret Service message said. White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson, a top aide to then Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, recalled Trump being, quote, fired up, unquote, about the court's ruling. Trump told Meadows, quote, something to the effect of, I don't want people to know we lost, Mark. This is embarrassing. Figure it out, unquote. Hutchinson told the panel in a recorded interview. Thursday's session served as a closing argument for the panel's two Republican lawmakers, Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, who have essentially been shunned by Trump and their party and will not be returning in the new Congress. Cheney lost her primary election and Kinzinger decided not to run. The committee having conducted more than 1,000 interviews and obtained countless documents, has produced a sweeping probe of Trump's activities from his defeat in the November election to the Capitol attack. Under committee rules, the January 6th panel is to produce a report of its findings, likely in December. The committee will dissolve 30 days after publication of that report and with the new Congress in January. At least five people died in the January 6th attack and its aftermath, including a Trump supporter shot and killed by Capitol Police. More than 850 people have been charged by the Justice Department, some receiving lengthy prison sentences for their roles. Several leaders and associates of the extremist oath-keepers, and proud boys have been charged with sedition. Trump faces various state and federal investigations over his actions in the election and its aftermath. Colorado Vote State Election's Chief Challenger Argue About What's Partisan by Colleen Slevin, Associated Press, October 13, 2022 Denver Colorado's top election official, Democrat Jenna Griswold- Democrat Jenna Griswold and a former county clerk hoping to replace her as Secretary of State, Republican Pam Anderson, both agree that Colorado's twenty twenty election was secure and that former President Donald Trump lost his reelection bid. But a debate Tuesday night showed how sharply divided they are over how outspoken the Secretary of State should be in an era when many of Trump's supporters, including people running to oversee elections in other states, lie about the outcome of that election. Anderson, the former clerk of Jefferson County in suburban Denver, said she supported Griswold's efforts to block Tina Peters, the Mesa County clerk charged with allegedly allowing outsiders to break into her election system from overseeing elections there starting in 2021. However, Anderson, who defeated Peters in the primary election to become the GOP candidate, faulted Griswold for using the case in fundraising pitches to her supporters while it was still being investigated. Anderson, who said she wants to restore professionalism and a nonpartisan approach to the office, said that tactic provided some doubt about whether the process was fair. Griswold, who has vastly outraised Anderson, did not respond to that criticism in the debate at the University of Denver. Instead, she said that the, quote, big lie, unquote, was fueling threats to undermine elections and threats to election workers and that it was inappropriate for Anderson to campaign with fellow Republicans who dispute that Trump lost the election. She repeated her call for Anderson to disavow such candidates and not campaign with them. Anderson said she has and would continue to push back against any candidate who spreads misinformation about elections but dismissed Griswold's call as too political. Quote, I will not put fuel on the fire with hyper-partisan and polarizing and divisive rhetoric to fuel my political campaign, unquote, said Anderson, who also said she wanted to change the, quote, hearts and minds, unquote, of those who doubted the state's election system through conversations. Griswold, Meanwhile, defended her vocal support for abortion rights and her belief that people's right to vote could be endangered depending on the result of this year's election. Quote, standing up for fundamental rights is not partisan, unquote, Griswold said. Anderson said she supported abortion rights but said it was not a central focus of the Secretary of State's office. In answer to a question from a student, Anderson refused to say whether she would vote for Trump if he is on the ballot again in 2024, explaining that she has never said if she supports a candidate who appears on a ballot for an election she has overseen. However, she said she would stand up to anyone who uses misinformation, conspiracies, or lies against the democratic process. Griswold, without specifically mentioning Trump, said she would never support someone who is using their office to destabilize this country for their political benefit. Quote, That is very clear. These are not normal times and we need elected officials willing to stand up for all voters, to stand up for democracy. Unquote. She said, Private Equity Gambit Squeezes Excessive ER Charges from Routine Births by Ray Ellen Bichell, Kaiser Health News, October 13, 2022. Elizabeth Huffner thinks it's obvious. A full-term healthy pregnancy results in a birth. Quote, when your due date has come and gone, you're expecting a baby any minute, unquote, Huffner said so she was surprised to discover she was on, quote, unknown accident, unquote, at least from a billing standpoint, when she went to the hospital during labor. Her bill included a charge for something she said she didn't know she'd ever entered, an obstetrics emergency department. That's where a doctor briefly checked her cervix, timed her contractions, and monitored the fetal heartbeat before telling her to go home and come back later. The area is separated from the rest of the labor and delivery department by a curtain. The hospital got about $1,300 for that visit, $530 of it from Hoffner's pocket. In recent years, hospitals of every stripe have opened up obstetrics emergency departments, or OBEDs. They come with a requirement that patients with a pregnancy or postpartum medical concerns be seen quickly by a qualified provider, which can be important in a real emergency. But it also means healthy patients like Huffner get bills for emergency care they didn't know they got. Quote, it should be a cautionary tale to every woman, unquote, said Huffner of Rockford, Illinois. Three of the four major companies that set up and staff OBEDs are affiliated with private equity firms, which are known for making a profit on quick turnaround investments. Private equity has been around for a long time in other medical specialties, and researchers are now tracking its move into women's healthcare, including obstetrics. These private equity-associated practices come with a promise of increased patient satisfaction and better care, which can help the hospital avoid malpractice costs from bad outcomes. But private equity also is trying to boost revenue. Dr. Robert Wachter, chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, calls the private equity encroachment into medicine, quote, worrisome unquote. quote hospitals will do what they can do to maximize income as long as they're not breaking the rules unquote Watcher said quote and it sounds like that's sort of what they're doing with this ER gambit unquote surprising bills. KHN reviewed the bills of a dozen patients in five states who said they were hit with surprise emergency charges for being triaged in an OBED while in labor. That included a woman in Grand Junction, Colorado, who said she felt, quote, gaslit when she had to pay $300 in emergency charges for the care she received in the small room where they confirmed she was in full-term labor. And in Kansas, a family said they were paying $400 for the same services, also rendered in a, quote, very tiny, unquote, room. Even though HCA Healthcare, the national for-profit chain that runs the hospital, told KHN that emergency charges are supposed to be waived if the patient is admitted for delivery. Few of the patients KHN interviewed could recall being told that they were accessing emergency services, nor did they recall entering a space that looked like an emergency room or was marked as one. Insurance denied the charges in some cases, but in others families were left to pay hundreds of dollars for their share of the tab, adding to already large hospital bills. Several patients reported noticing big jumps in cost for their most recent births compared with those of previous children even though they did not notice any changes to the facilities where they delivered. Three physicians in Colorado told KHN that the hospitals where they work made minimal changes when the institutions opened OBEDs. The facilities were the same triage rooms as before, just with a different sign outside and different billing practices. Quote, when I see somebody for a really minor thing, like someone who comes in at 38 weeks, thinks she's in labor, but she's not in labor, gets discharged home, I feel really bad. Unquote. Said Dr. Vanessa Gleeland, who until recently worked as a hospitalist in OBEDs at two hospitals near Denver. Quote, I hope she doesn't get some $500 bill for just coming in for that. Unquote. The bills generated by encounters with OBEDs can be baffling to patients. Clara Love and Dr. Jonathan Guerrero-Rodriguez An intensive care unit nurse and an internist, respectively, found a charge for the highest level of emergency care in the bill for their son's birth. It took months of back and forth and the looming threat of collections before the hospital explained that the charge was for treatment in an obstetrics emergency department. The triage area where a nurse examined love before she was admitted in full-term labor, Quote, I don't like using hyperbole, but as a provider, I have never seen anything like this. Unquote, Guerrera Rodriguez said. Patients with medical backgrounds may be more likely than other people to notice these unusual charges, which can be hidden in long or opaque billing documents. A physician assistant in North Carolina and an ICU nurse in Texas were also shocked by the OBED charges they faced. Figuring out where OBEDs even are can be difficult. Health departments in California, Colorado, Massachusetts, and New York said they do not track hospitals that open OBEDs. EDs because they are considered an extension of a hospital's main emergency department. Neither do professional groups like the American Hospital Association, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the Joint Commission which accredits healthcare programs across the country. Some hospitals state clearly on their websites that they have an OBED. A few hospitals state that visiting their OBED will incur emergency room charges. Other hospitals with OBEDs don't mention their existence at all. Origins of the OBED Concept Three of the main companies that set up and staff OBEDs, the OB Hospitalist Group, or OBHG, Team Health and Envision Healthcare, are affiliated with private equity firms. The fourth pediatrics medical group, formerly known as Menex, is publicly traded. All are for-profit companies. Several are clear about the revenue benefits of opening OBEDs. Team Health, one of the country's dominant ER staffing companies, is owned by private equity firm Blackstone and has faced criticism from lawmakers for high ER bills. In a document aimed at hospital administrators, Team Health says OBEDs are good for quote, boosting hospital revenues unquote, with quote, little to no structural investment for the hospital. Unquote. It markets OBED success stories to potential customers. Highlighting hospitals in California and South Florida where OBEDs reportedly improved patient care and quote, produced additional revenue through OBED services. Unquote. OBHG, which staffs close to 200 OBEDs in 33 states markets a scoring tool designed to help hospitals maximize charges from OBEDs and has marketed its services to about 3,000 hospitals. Staffing companies and hospitals contacted by KHN said that OBEDs help deliver better care and that private equity involvement doesn't impede that care. Data from Colorado offers a window into how hospitals may be shifting the way they bill for triaging healthy labor. In an analysis for KHN, the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare found that the share of uncomplicated vaginal deliveries that had an emergency department charge embedded in their bills more than doubled in Colorado from 2016 to 2020. It is still a small segment of births, however, rising from 1.4 percent to 3.3 percent. Major staffing companies are set up to charge for every single little thing, said Dr. Wayne Farley. He would know he used to have a leadership role in one of those major staffing companies, the private equity-backed Envision, after it bought his previous employer. Now, He's a practicing OBGYN hospitalist at four OBEDs and a consultant who helps hospitals start OBEDs. Quote, I've actually thought about creating a business where I review billings for these patients and help them fight claims, unquote, said Farley, who thinks a high-level emergency charge makes sense only if the patient had serious complications or required a high level of care. Proponents of OBED say converting a triage room in an obstetrics emergency department can help pay for a hospital to hire 24-7 hospitalists. In labor and delivery, that means obstetric specialists are available purely to respond to patients who come to the hospital rather than juggling those cases with clinic visits. Supporters of OBEDs say there's evidence that having hospitalists on hand is safer for patients and can reduce unnecessary cesarean sections. Quote, that's no excuse, Unquote, said Dr. Lawrence Casalino, a physician and health policy researcher at Whale Cornell Medicine. Quote, to have people get an emergency room charge when they don't even know they're in an emergency room I mean that doesn't meet the laugh test, unquote. But doctor Christopher Swain, who founded the OB hospitalist group and is credited with inventing the OBED concept, said that having round the clock hospitalists on staff is essential for giving pregnant patients good care and that starting an OBED can help pay for those hospitalists. Swain said he started the nation's first OBED in 2006 in Kissimmee, Florida. He said that at early adopter hospitals, OBEDs helped pay to have a doctor available on the labor and delivery floor 24-7 and that hospitals subsequently saw better outcomes and lower malpractice rates. Quote, we feel like we fixed something, unquote, Swain said. Quote, I feel like we really helped to move the bar to improve the quality of care and to provide better outcomes, Swain is no longer affiliated with OBHG, which has been in private equity hands since at least 2013. The company has recently gone so far as to present OBEDs as part of the solution to the country's maternal mortality problem. Hospitals such as an Ascension St. Joseph's Hospital in Milwaukee have echoed that statement in their reasons for opening an OBED. But UCSF's Wachter, who coined the term hospitalist and who generally believes the presence of hospitalists leads to better care, thinks that reasoning is questionable especially because hospitals find ways to pay for hospitalists and other specialties without engineering new facility fees. Quote, I'm always a little skeptical of the justification, unquote, Wachter said. Quote, they will always have a rationale for why income maximization is a reasonable and morale strategy, unquote. Private equity's footprint in women's health care. Furley estimates that he has helped set up OBED, including Colorado's first in 2013, in at least 30 hospitals. He's aware of hospitals that claim that they have OBEDs when the only change they've made is to have an OBGYN on site around the clock. Quote, You can't just hang out a shingle and say, We have an OBED. It's an investment on the part of the hospital, unquote, he said. That means having, among other things, a separate entrance from the rest of the labor and delivery department, clear signage inside and outside the hospital, and a separate waiting room. Some hospitals he has worked with have invested millions of dollars in upgrading facilities for their OBED, he said. Private equity firms often promise more efficient management plus investment in technology and the facilities that could improve patient care or satisfaction. In some parts of healthcare, that could really help, said Amber LaForgia, who researches healthcare management at the University of California, Berkeley, and is studying private equity investment in fertility care. But Laforgia said that in much of healthcare, gauging whether such firms are truly maintaining or improving the quality of care is difficult. Quote, Private equity is about being able to extract some sort of value very quickly, Unquote, Laforgia said. Quote, and in healthcare, when prices are so opaque and there's so much lack of transparency, a lot of those impacts on the prices are eventually going to fall on the patient, unquote. It's changing circumstances for doctors, too. Dr. Michelle Bargari, a Colorado obstetrician, said OBEDs may make sense in busy urban hospitals with lots of patients who did not get prenatal care. But now, they're cropping up everywhere. Quote, from a doctor's standpoint, none of us want these jobs because now we're like a resident again, where we have to see every single patient that walks through that door. Unquote. Said Bargari, rather than triaging many cases on the phone with a nurse. Still, private equity is continuing its advance into women's health care. Indeed, Bargari said private equity came knocking on her door earlier this year. Women's Care Enterprises, backed by private equity company BC Partners, wanted to know whether she would consider selling her practice. She said, quote, no, unquote. White House aims to speed up pace of building infrastructure, Metro I-70 included, by Josh Boak, Associated Press, October 13th twenty twenty two Washington The White House hosted a summit Thursday to help speed up construction projects tied to the roughly one trillion dollar infrastructure law, an effort to improve coordination with the mayors and governors who directly account for ninety percent of this spending. Quote, this is the first time we've tried this in fifty years on this level, unquote, said Mitch Landrew the White House's infrastructure coordinator, and the former mayor of New Orleans. Quote, We're going to really push hard to make it go faster and try to do it better, and try to get at least all the federal agencies focused on accelerating the pace of design, construction, permitting, unquote. The summit began Thursday morning and comes at a critical moment for the nearly year-old law, as high inflation and worker and material shortages are threatening to delay many projects. At stake is a legacy-making investment championed by President Joe Biden, who said that it's the largest set of public works projects since the interstate highway system began in the 1950s during Dwight Eisenhower's presidency. Going into midterm elections this year, Biden has repeatedly told the voters that the government can deliver results with Democrats and Republicans working together. Administration officials plan to use the summit to smooth the way for accelerating the pace of construction, which in turn can help to control costs and maximize the value of dollars spent. The Transportation Department will launch an internal center to provide best practices on project design, planning, and construction for state and local leaders. The Commerce Department will have a, quote, dig once, unquote, effort so that construction workers are not repeatedly punching holes into roads to lay water pipes, broadband connections, and electricity and natural gas lines in addition to other efforts by government agencies and industry groups. Quote, I just fully expect that the more we work on this and the better we get, the more money we're going to save and the more time we're going to save, unquote, said Landrieu, who will be speaking at the event along with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan, among others. Roughly 3,000 people were expected to gather in person and online for the summit. It overlapped with Biden's being away from the White House as he travels to western states. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock will speak on a panel about getting projects done on time. He said that inflation worker shortages, and supply chain issues have each been barriers and cause an increase as high as 30% in forecasted costs. Quote, all of those issues are the most critical threat to what we're trying to do. Unquote, Hancock said. Denver is using federal funds to ensure that neighborhoods remain connected as express lanes are added to a 10-mile stretch of Interstate 70 that bisects the city. Hancock wanted to ensure that the neighborhoods on either side of the highway were not cut off from each other, which could make it more difficult for children to attend school. Funding from the infrastructure law provided an additional $14 million to keep neighborhoods intact, with the project scheduled for completion in 2026. Hancock said that the infrastructure law also created an Quote, unprecedented, unquote, opportunity to partner with female and minority-owned contractors. Quote, we should not let this moment pass by, unquote, he said. Thank you for joining us for the Arapahoe County News. My name is Pablo.